well, top of the morning to you all. Thank you so much for joining us this Monday morning for your daily devotions through Redeeming Life Fellowship. Uh, it's so exciting to see your bright and lovely faces. Uh, Glenn, Bryce, Faith, Luke, B, Tom, Bree, Bethann, uh, uh, David, it's, it's wonderful to see you all today. Uh, but today, uh, we're going to be taking our first few steps through this brand new reading plan uh, that we at Redeeming Life are going to be walking through the whole New Testament in the course of a year. And so here, January 3rd, uh, we're only into Matthew chapter 3, a relatively short chapter, uh, all 17 verses of it. And where we are is really about in the middle of Matthew's introduction to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and his preaching and his ministry of inaugurating the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And uh, what's interesting about that is that in this section, he really is doing a lot to set the stage, both dramatically and theologically, about what it is that we're going to expect throughout the rest of the book. And I wanted to try and uh, approach this, uh, this particular chapter, chapter 3, uh, with a little bit of a story. And uh, perhaps you're wondering well, why it is that I'm dressed so sillily today. Uh, I'm actually wearing well, one of my favorite jerseys. Uh, it's one of my favorite jerseys because it happens to belong to, uh, or not belong to, but it's a, it's a jersey of none other than, uh, I think you can read that from there. Does that say white on the back? Good. I'm wearing the right jersey. Reggie White. Uh, I have had this jersey since I was a little kid and I was swimming in it. And I thought, man, I'd never fit into this thing. But now, behold, I am old enough to finally wear it and it suits me well. So I'm so glad I held on to it. But no, Reggie White. Without question, my favorite football player uh, to have ever played the game. He's uh, uh, Hall of Fame, legendary when it comes to uh, his football play on the field. Uh, really, uh, um, a, a person whose play and whose, whose life would demand so much respect. And my respect for him only grew when I found out that later in his career uh, that he devoted himself to studying Hebrew. I thought... Goodness, NFL players study Hebrew? This is amazing. Uh, so I got so excited when I found out about that. And the thing that you also want to know about Reggie White, uh, in addition to his legendary football play, uh, he uh, earned the nickname the Minister of Defense because he was also an ordained minister. And uh, But uh, uh, a professional football player, really almost unlike any other that uh, that this game has ever seen, just dominating in the trenches. And there's a, a, a great story about, uh, about Reggie White when he was playing for the Eagles, uh, where his career first started. And uh, the story goes, there was a joint practice between uh, the, the Eagles on the one hand and the Detroit Lions on the other. And they're uh, one of the uh, well, let me first make sure we understand each other. Uh, there's offense and defense. Reggie White played on the defense, the defensive line, where if you're watching football, there's offensive linemen and defensive linemen, and they crash into one another, and uh, the defensive lineman is wanting to stop the, the offense, and, and, and Reggie's job is to get past the offensive lineman to be able to get to the quarterback and to sack him. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, uh, Reggie White... 
still holds uh, second all-time sack leader in NFL history at 198, but I digress. So there is this joint practice, and one of the offensive linemen that uh, was uh, uh, in charge of guarding or, or trying to block Reggie White uh, was had notoriously bad bout, just just a, a rotten mouth, um, just you know dropping vulgarities and f bombs like space bars, and just doing what normally happens when full grown men, three hundred pounds, you know, spend an entire afternoon just crashing into each other. They start cussing at each other, and so. And they do that to try and assert their dominance, one person over the other. And so uh, he's trying to to assert his dominance over Reggie White, which, if anybody knows, is never a good idea. You don't you don't cuss out Reggie White. You don't cuss out the Minister of Defense. And so he warned him and saying, "No, you, uh, Reggie, you know, is telling this offensive lineman, you you know, don't you 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 stop cussing uh, right now." And then he just you know cussed at him all the more. And uh, and so eventually Reggie had enough of it. And uh, the next lineup uh, for this practice, uh, he comes off the line and yells, Jesus is coming. And he throws him off to the side and 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 uh, reaches the whether it was the quarterback or the 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 um, the touch point uh, so that this guy was totally dominated. And he was then even more mad. Uh, and so the next uh, time they line up and snap the ball, he yells, Jesus is coming, throws him off. And this happens at least a few different times. And then the, the, the coaches are thinking, oh, gosh, you know, our defensive lineman is telling the, the, this, this offensive lineman about Jesus. Like, what's going on here? And so this keeps going. And... Uh, uh, and so it gets to the last, the last one, the last rep, and uh, offensive line, uh, Reggie, you know, tosses him aside and gets to the point, and then goes in and lifts up his hand or extends his hand to lift him up, and he says, "Jesus is here," not that he's thinking about Jesus or that he, Jesus, Reggie counts himself as Jesus. That's not what he's saying, but um, he, he, what he means when he says Jesus is here is that he's showing him grace. And then he picks him up. And that offensive lineman never cussed the rest of the practice. He, his, his life uh, basically changed after an afternoon of trying to deal with this minister of defense, Reggie White. And uh, the reason why we talk about that is that Reggie considered his calling to tell people about Jesus because not only did he want them to not just know the gospel, to see the gospel, but to respond. Uh, that if Jesus is coming, uh, that means that they have to get their life right. And that if they're going to get their life right, that means uh, responding in repentance. And believe it or not, there was uh, a certain Reggie White that we're going to look at here in the Bible. Or rather, Reggie White was the... Uh, um, a type of the person that we're about to see. And his name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a remarkable character in, in the biblical storyline. Not only because of his odd and peculiar ministry, his dress or his diet, but rather he was 
instrumental in in preparing the way, as it were, uh, being a Reggie White and telling people, Jesus is coming and it's time for you to get your life right. And so that was John the Baptist. That was his ministry. And not in a way that he thought that he could, you know, bring salvation, but rather preparing the people so that when Jesus comes, uh, they're going to be ready to respond to what it is that he has to say and to respond to what it is that he had to do. And so we have all of that packed in to uh, uh, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And there's at least one point that I, I don't want us to, to, to miss as we're reading through this, because here's, here's the, the, the key. When, when Matthew is writing his, his gospel, there's certain things that he's packing into, uh, into chapters 1 through 4 that set the stage for what things are, are about to happen next, or the things that we're going to expect. And what you'll find in Matthew's gospel is not just simply the kingdom of God coming in through power and uh, through the, the, the words and the works of Jesus Christ, but what you'll see in Matthew is how it is that the coming of the kingdom of God is met with fierce, rebellious resistance. That, that, that there's conflict that's to, to, to come when when Jesus is, is inaugurating, ushering the kingdom of God here on earth, and that people resist it. Indeed, they uh, not just resist it, but they seek to undermine it because their plans are, uh, are at odds with God's plans. And we're going to see that here. Uh, at, that's almost you know, right in front of our very eyes in chapter 3. So let's look and read together Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Attached to John's words, or within John's words rather, is this heightened sense of urgency, saying, uh, God is coming to bring salvation. The day of the Lord is coming. Uh, remember, as we talked uh, just a few weeks back, when the day of the Lord comes, there's judgment and salvation. And he's saying, this is happening right before our very eyes. Uh, this is no time to delay. Uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, verse 3, it says, This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So a few things to point out. One of them being that this commentary on John and his clothes, and his diet, and uh, that this is meant to evoke 
images, similarities, comparisons between the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of that of Elijah, which is of the same sort in that there's this, this prophet who almost just appears out of nowhere and who comes and preaches a message of repentance to people whose hearts were drifting away from Jesus or drifting away from God and that you could see that their hearts were drifting away from God as it was made manifest in their actions, that they were uh, not, they were going to be the sort of people that when God comes, uh, that it's not going to mean salvation, it's going to mean judgment. Uh, so we're, it's, it's by, by doing this, we're wanting to see uh, G, the ministry of, of John the Baptist through the sort of the lenses and thinking about him like another Elijah. And, uh, and what's interesting about this is that this preaching, uh, people do respond to it with genuine repentance, confessing their sins. In other words, uh, they know that in their heart of hearts that their, their actions, their deeds, their words, the meditations of their heart, it's not pleasing to God. And, and this is time that if judgment day is coming, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to say, um, I've behaved in this way. I've been this sort of person for this long. My life has been headed in this trajectory for so long. It's time for me to repent. It's time for me to return around. If I persist in this way, the only thing that's going to, I'm going to be met with is judgment, death, and destruction. And he calls them to repent. And uh, this is where it gets good. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, let's pause there for a second. Uh, perhaps at some point, maybe soon, we'll do a little bit of a video introdu introducing who are the Pharisees, who are the Sadducees, the biblical writers, uh, for their original audience, assume that we know who these people are, who these religious the political parties are, uh, and this uh, bipartisan constituency that's sort of been sent out from Jerusalem to investigate what it is that's happening in the desert of Judea. They need to know who is this John the Baptist and what is he doing and who does he think he is that, that, uh, that he thinks that he can be uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God and calling people to repentance. And so, let's continue. At the very least, the thing that it's important to know about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as far as this context is concerned, is that they were, of all people, the, the religious political elites of the day who set the standard, the righteous standard for righteous living in the eyes of the, of the Jews, in the eyes of the people, that if everyone is living a, a, a righteous life, um, that the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, depending on who it is that you're following, are a cut above. Uh, that they're the ones who uh, who set the bar, the standard for what what righteous living actually is. So that if there is anybody who, um, in response to this coming of the kingdom of God, and that salvation is coming, 
uh, and judgment is coming because God is coming and the kingdom of heaven is coming, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would regard themselves as being righteous, as being uh, worthy of receiving God's salvation. Uh, indeed, uh, that they were the, the, the ones who God would smile upon when he comes and say, ah, yes, these are my people. And listen to what John the Baptist has to say. This is uh, in verse 7. He said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. It should not be lost on us that, that John, like Jesus, and indeed like God, is no respecter of persons. Where their status as being religious and political elites means nothing to John the Baptist. Where frankly, John the Baptist, if he's calling them a brood of vipers, um, he doesn't give a rat's tuchus what, what um, who the Pharisees and the Sadducees think that they are. That the quality of their righteousness is based on something that isn't going to matter in the sight of God. And the reason why I think something like that is of critical importance for us today is that when we evaluate our lives and whether or not we're asking ourselves, are we righteous? Um, is my life not just pleasing in my own sight, in the sight of my parents, in the sight of my spouse, in the sight of my, my, my church, in the sight of my, um, my community. Uh, it is in our human nature to look at uh, um, certain tokens of, of, of righteousness that if we latch onto them, we can hold that up before God and say, here, God, this is, this is, this is why, this is how I can show you that uh, that, uh, that, 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 that I'm a righteous person. And for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had all kinds of things that they could uh, hold on to them, hold on to. Namely, in this case, it's their claim to of their genetic inheritance and of, of being regarded as the children of Abraham, children of the promise, children of, the, of be, belonging to this uh, chosen covenant people of the living God. And John will have none of it in saying, your claims to, uh, to religious or political or genetic superiority is not going to save you. That's not going to, to uh, rescue you when, when, when the kingdom of heaven comes. And uh, it's only human nature because we we are, regardless of wherever whatever um, whatever social situation or political economic situation we find ourselves in, that that 
we do the same things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees do. In other words, where our righteousness rests on having some kind of knowledge or the truth or some kind of religious heritage or uh, belonging to the right political party, uh, that those sorts of things are the things that, that make us good people. And what I find interesting about this is that, that John, even as these Pharisees and Sadducees are coming out, uh, that he calls them to repent and to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, which is another way of saying what matters to God is not merely right words or professions of faith, but the fruit of actions that come, that come from a changed life, a life that's humbled themselves before God and say, God, uh, uh, there's nothing that I can do uh, to bring about uh, a, a righteous action before your eyes. And that repentance has to be the starting point uh, if I'm ever going to walk in right relationship with you. And confession of sin, uh, indeed, not just confession just for the sake of confession, but confession in, in a way of, of exposing a sinful and prideful heart uh, so that the work of God can be made manifest in that person's heart with a heart that's truly broken before him. And so I might ask you today, or I might ask, pose the question for all of us, that is, are we uh, producing fruit in keeping with repentance? Or do we live lives that, that are predicated on the satisfaction of a proud and self-righteous heart. So, yeah, we should ask ourselves every day, is the fruit of our lives, our actions, are they the fruit of, of a repentant heart that says, God, in my heart of hearts, I know that in my heart of hearts I've sinned against you, and if I keep following a sinful heart, it's going to lead me further and further away from you. But that... Um, but that it doesn't have to be this way. And today, uh, I humble myself before you, repent of my wicked ways, and turn my heart towards you, that God is going to respond. Uh, is he's going to come, and he's going to bring salvation. And I hope that your heart and my heart, they long for that day when, when Jesus comes, uh, and that when Jesus returns, and our hearts are... Um, and our actions are, are the fruits of, of a repentant heart. So, thank you so much for taking the time to join us for Daily Devotions. Uh, thank you so much for, for listening, for following along. And uh, looking forward to the next time that we get to meet together. And we'll get to listen, learn, uh, grow uh, as the people of God today. So, God bless you. Take care and I'll see you next time.